The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us one last time, the editor and publisher of FilmBuffOnline.com and the co-host of the Big Picture podcast, Rich Trees. This week has flown by. I've been having a great time. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You were a guest on my previous movie by minute, Flash Gordon Minute. We had a blast then. So uh, a repeat, a repeat customer here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So we are in minute 24 of Escape from New York, and it starts out with Hauk talking about Snake wanting to fly to Canada. And it ends with Hauk making kind of a dickish line about no more (laughs) Snake Plissken. So we talked a bit about, uh, Rich, you mentioned this yesterday, and we've talked about this a bit before, about some of the geographical issues with New York that are brought up in the making of this movie. And I got to call this Mm. one out, because if Snake is taking off from Liberty Island and he's heading toward Manhattan, that means he is heading north. So if he were to turn Mm -hmm. 180, like Hauk says he thinks he's planning on doing, he would actually be heading away from Canada, not toward Canada. And I just, I can't let that go by. You've got a point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering, though, was that a metaphorical 180 or not? Uh, Yeah, I mean, sure. Give him a no-prize solution to that? Sure. Okay. But nevertheless, once again, as we've been mentioning all week long, man, Hauk's a smug asshole, and... (laughs) If, If this minute doesn't perfectly capture that, holy cow... He's telling Snake what they put inside him, and he's got such a fucking smirk on his face when he's talking about what he did. When he gets to the, to the point about how it would pop his arteries, he actually flicks his fingers just to add a little visual mm-hmm. what would go on inside Snake's neck. I mean, what a jerk-off. Yeah. That reminds me of a high school principal I had. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> did you get in trouble with the we'll principal once or twice <laughs> no no i would say this is again how really enjoying a comeuppance here which doesn't doesn't really seem like it's going to be helpful and from that like collaborative problem solving sort of perspective yeah you're not you're not winning snake over to on your to your side you're not really instilling in him i mean now he's got to do it because he's dead if he doesn't but you'd think you'd want to you know pump the guy up a bit and be like hey man we're in this together come on you can do it no <laughs> we're gonna explode your arteries sucker <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's pretty graphic as you're saying with the you know pop you know the hand motion that he has with it's gonna blow up your arteries and doesn't need to be big. It's just just about the size of a pinhead. Really, yeah, intimidating. Unnecessarily so. Not and that I'm, Snake is intimidated, but... And honestly, if I were Snake, I really wouldn't have any reason to 100% believe that they'll neutralize those bombs once I do get the president out, yes, given you know, Hauk's attitude, the whole conversation. Right, right. right. 
Right. What has Hauk done at any point since he has met Snake to make Snake trust him to think that, that they really would do this? In fact, to be honest, what would make Snake not think that the whole thing is BS, that they didn't even put that it's, it's all fake, that they're just making him think he's got these things inside him? Mm. I mean, Hauk's done nothing to earn his trust at all. No, all Hauk has done is lied to him from the moment that he's showed up in his office. The only yeah. thing that's been a truism is the is the rap sheet that he read in the beginning. <laughs> he even misrepresented in the beginning about the plane itself, who was on the plane. It's just been a real evolution of disinformation in these last, like, eight minutes or so. Yeah, Snake has been screwed. He's been completely screwed over. If he's late, he's dead. He didn't know that when he agreed to it. And he's, he's just, he's been completely screwed over. And, you know, I understand, you know, okay, you know, he, he's a guilty prisoner in the world of escape from New York, and so he's supposed to be going to prison, and no one else is given a chance to actually get out. It's supposed to be once you go in, you never come out. But nevertheless, Hauk says in yesterday's minute, you know, you know it's the, the fate of, the, of humanity, something you don't care about. Well, Hauk obviously does care about it. So he really should be doing a much better job in making sure this cassette tape somehow gets found and getting out in 22 hours. I mean, listen, I live in Southern Brooklyn. You drop me in lower Manhattan where the, the site of the world trade center is. And you tell me I got 22 hours to find a cassette tape and get out of Manhattan in that time. And I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker. I, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm. And, I, and I'm not going to have the entire borough of Manhattan, you know, trying to kill me either. So what you're saying is, is a tall order. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting here, and I'm thinking about it from an actor perspective, but as soon as Hauk is like, well, I'd say you'd be dead in 10 or 15 seconds. And at this point, Snake goes for the throat. And Lee Van Cleef's face is like really red. Like I can see the pressure that Kurt Russell has on his neck here. And you know this isn't just done in one take. This is done repeatedly. So I think I think there's a lot of very difficult scenes as an actor to have to do. And I'm just putting myself in that place. I think sex scenes would probably be really difficult. But then something like this, not just like facing off with like a prop weapon, but like you physically have to put your hands on another person and kind of choke them out. And I know there's probably some sort of safe word here. Uh-huh. But <laughs> this mm. seems to be really, like, this is a really uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable for me to watch, but I can't imagine what it would be person to person to have to do this. Sure, absolutely. He has to make it look real. And, you know, I'm, I've got a freeze frame at second 45 right now, where we see the back of Snake's head, so we see Hauk's face, and I'm looking at Kurt Russell's thumb and index finger, you know, where it's positioned and, and the pressure it looks like it's applying. And I mean, his thumb is clearly, it's pressed into his neck. I mean, it's, it has to look real. He can't just have his hand gently placed on Lee Van Cleef's neck. He, you got to sell it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, in the preparation of stuff like that, the, for the scenes like that, there's always a big discussion about exactly how far can you go do you want to go this far that far and stuff like that because you know i found working on like little indie short films that have had makeout scenes and have had scenes like this with some fighting and stuff those are the ones where you sit there and you have a long discussion about what exactly is going to happen is it going to be choreographed is it going to be a little spontaneous and how far can we push things and 
So I'm sure, you know, Carpenter and Kurt and Lee had a nice long chat long before the camera started to roll about how that, and probably the stunt coordinator was involved too, to make sure everything happens safely, but still could look exciting and dramatic. Yeah, that makes sense. And then we shift into uh, the doctor saying, hey, 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 actually, we can neutralize the charge with x-rays, which then brought up some questions for me. And I am not a science person, but I'm kind of curious how that works. Um, I haven't taken a science class since I was in college <laughs> 25 years ago, and it had nothing to do with dis- dissolving capsules. So uh, I'm not going to be much help either. <laughs> Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. My dad was a, was a science teacher years ago. Sorry. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it works because they used science words. <laughs> well, it, and it's also, it's very convenient that they, that they can neutralize the charge when there's 15 minutes left. Creates a little tension there. We can neutralize the charge. When? Well, when mm-hmm. there's only 15 minutes left. So you get back early, Snake, you're still just going to sit there waiting for those x-rays. <laughs> <laughs> It's like going to the ER. You'll wait until we call you. <laughs> I, you know, I've been calling out a lot changes from the script to the shooting, and there's a little minor change here. In the movie, we have Hauk saying that idea you had about turning the Gulf Fire around, going off to Canada. This is why we did this. In the original script, Snake chokes him, and then Hauk says, I had no guarantee that you wouldn't take off in the opposite direction. So as opposed to here where we end up getting it with Hauk sort of goading him and saying, I know what you were probably going to do. Here's why we did this. He doesn't tell him why he did it until after Snake has already attacked him. And he doesn't even say, "Ah, I bet you had this idea flying to Canada. It was more just like, well, I had no guarantee you would do it. So, you know, I was hedging my bets. So once, once again, the filmed version has Hauk as definitely more of a dick than the script did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that original script makes it sound like he's more practical. Yeah. He's trying to get the job done. He knows yeah. he has to do it. He knows he has to have that insurance. But this sounds more like, yeah, I thought I'd throw some bombs in your neck for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think if you would have given him the context instead of at the top of this minute, but at this point after he shot him up with explosives, that perhaps that would have been like, Oh, you rascally Van Cleef, we get you. You just, you care about the country. You want to make sure that this goes down okay. But yeah, instead he's just, he's just being an ass. <laughs> so this is actually, this is actually a pretty light minute. And I, I have something to go into, but first I want to make sure you guys don't, either one of you have anything else about this specific minute to get into. No, not I'm... really. You know, it's just more amplification of the stakes involved for Snake that was going on in the last minute as well, you know, which is, again, structurally, you know, gives us the end of the first act before he hops into uh, the ultralight to go over to New York itself. You know, it's it's really standard script writing, but it's really effective here. Right. And so now we know the mission. We know the full setup. We know the situation that Snake is in. And so I think this is, I've been holding off on this. I think now is a good time, now that we know the full setup of the movie, to discuss the Escape from New York board game. Yes, there was an Escape (laughs) from New York board game. And it's incredibly faithful to the mission of the movie. It's a board game that was for ages 10 and up, two to four players, about 45-minute playing time. And in the game, you are Snake Plissken. 
And you start out, you've got cards. Now, remember, this is a game from the early 80s, so uh, anybody that's a youngin, it's, it's, it's not like the way board games are set up now. It was, it was very basic. You start out with some cards. Some of the cards are weapons cards. Some are equipment cards. And you have to use them to help you fight enemies and find clues once you go inside the Manhattan prison. If you get into a fight, you can lose cards. You go to certain spaces, you get more cards. If you turn in the right card at the right space, you could, and you could rescue the president or you can find the tape. And then you need to find the glider or a map to actually escape from New York. And along the way, you can pick up cards of other characters. Brain, Cabby, Maggie, the Duke, Slag, and Romero all have cards in this game. The Cabby card actually lets you move around like a car, whatever that means. <laughs> and if you go to boardgamegeek.com, they have a lot of information about this, including lots of pictures. And I'll, I'll put the pictures that I found on the internet on our Facebook group. But I just have to call two of them out that the card of Cabby, he looks like the guy at the end of RoboCop that gets covered in the toxic acid and then gets run over by the truck. This is a really freaky drawing that looks nothing like Ernest Borgnine. And the card of Romero, as creepy as the character of Romero looks on this card, still not as creepy as the actual character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a likeness rights issue or just TSR hiring some bad artists there? Yeah, t- yeah, this was TSR, who, you know, a very well-known game company. And I got to tell you, based on TSR, it really could be either one of those two because they probably didn't want to pay anybody the money for it. But I mean, it, it's the kind of artwork that TSR is known for. Mm-hmm. It was funny when you sent out the, the message about the game. This, that was the first time I think I had seen it ever i was totally unaware that there had been a board game for this and around that time 81 82 i was in sixth seventh grade but i was playing dungeons and dragons so i was pretty familiar with what tsr was putting out in terms of that and some other games like gamma world and uh whatever the spy uh role-playing game was and you know going to the hobby shop at the mall top secret top secret yeah yeah, and just going to the hobby shop at the mall and going through the game section looking for new D&D stuff. And I don't recall ever seeing the Escape from New York board game ever. So <laughs> do we know how how widespread this thing was in stores? Or I don't because I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about this game either until I started researching for this show. And yeah, I was another one who I, I grew up in the 80s and my family had a lot of board games. And, you know, we had we did have some games based on popular culture entertainment you actually mentioned the tv show emergency yesterday my family we had the emergency board game and i had a, a oh, muppet gosh, show. Right. yeah i had a muppet show board game so i mean we did have some pop culture stuff but i, I had no idea this game existed till i started looking into this into the information for doing this podcast mm. eric how old were you when you first and, saw this again you were like really young weren't you yeah um i'm gonna guess because i don't really remember but I'm going to guess that I was maybe like eight or nine. So this would have been 1983, 1984. So, dude, you weren't even old enough to play this board game when you saw this movie. (laughs) Uh, Listen, you know, as as, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in our age group, it was a very different time in the 80s. (laughs) You know, we had HBO and I, I my parents weren't checking what was on HBO when I was watching it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the 80s were the 
decade that gave us the Rambo children's cartoon for Saturday morning. So. <laughs> oh my or God. take a take a, a a mentally damaged Vietnam vet who, who that it slowly as each movie happens gets more and more violent. Yeah, sure, kids and and, and action figures too. By the way, they came out with the Rambo, the Force. Oh yeah. Movie figures he had a whole line of kids action figures mm-hmm. <laughs> my god i think it's just hysterical that they made a board game out of this it's funny because on the one hand it makes sense it's it you know the plot of the movie lends itself to a board game you know a basic escaping you know finding oh. something and escaping but yeah i mean it's mm-hmm. it's an r-rated expletive filled violent movie though I mean, I'm just looking at the cards that you sent over, <laughs> and I'm looking at the equipment pistol plus one for combat, and it's this sweet gun, you know. And and I understand, like I played Clue as a kid, so there's there's weapons in there, and there's violence and whatnot. But yeah, I think this is a pretty explicit kind of game in a sense. Not that I mean, there's combat values for a couple of these guys. I mean, Romero looks crazy as all get out. But actually, that actually looks like a really good card. I'm like, ooh, I want the Romero card. But yeah, there's there's a, a strange set of, uh, of violence that's just pretty acceptable, considering this is an R-rated movie, of like, hey, let's go ahead and make a board game for kids out of this R-rated movie. It'll be fun. It's fun for the whole family. It's different different <laughs> gentle times. <laughs> Although, you know, again, you know, Rich mentioned D&D, uh, which, which, you know, TSR was a big part of. And I mean... I was, you know, I was playing D&D probably b- before I was 10. And you take a look at some of the fiend folios and monster manuals and some of the stuff in there. I mean, there is some there's some graphic R-rated stuff in there. And, you know, mm. uh, so again, yeah. it, it, the 80s are a very different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, you know, there was the whole satanic panic about D&D as well. Right. And surprisingly, my parents, my parents were fairly... You know, I grew up Catholic. Uh, my parents are, you know, old school Republicans and, you know, small government and fiscally conservative. But I've been fairly socially liberal. So I, and even when our parish priest spoke out against D&D in a sermon once, my parents were still pretty cool about me playing it. Because hmm. I think they realized I was you know, not an idiot, and I could understand the difference between fantasy and reality, and they saw me with my friends exercising our imaginations and everything, so. But, you know, it's it still strikes me strange that TSR was the one who did the, you know, Escape from New York game, because they, they were never big, as far as I can recall, on licensing other properties for games. They always seemed to make their own stuff. Like I said, you know, Gamma World and Top Secret... And, you know, a bunch of other small games that I'm probably forgetting always seem to be generated in-house. And then suddenly they license a movie to turn into a board game. It seems kind of like an outlier from what I recall of their their company back in the day. I was just thinking about games that, speaking of, of, of things that had uh, a level of ill-advised for kids to play. Um, yeah. Did you guys ever play with Ouija boards as a kid? Sure. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, uh, I had I had kids that I played with who were like, you know, we can't we can't tell my folks this because they think we're mm-hmm. you know we're, we're conjuring you know entities and <laughs> and it's it's not gonna it's not gonna go over well that you know this is uh, I don't care I think it's like Mattel or something 
her Parker Brothers. It's Parker Brothers that comes out with the Ouija board. And, you know, as a kid, I was like, yo, this is Parker Brothers. Like, I don't know that Parker Brothers is in league with the devil. <laughs> well, a Ouija board once told me when I was a kid that I was going to be a four-time All-Star catcher for the Dodgers. So, <laughs> there you go. Damn, that's some pretty specific well, information. <laughs> I didn't even make my high school baseball team, so there you go. <laughs> oh, another probably very ill-advised board game I just remembered from the 80s. There was a game based on the Titanic. What? Oh! Where, <laughs> yes! Where, where you're like a steward, and you're going around, you're trying to collect actual historical personages who were passengers on the boat and then you have to while the the boat is kind of like starting to sink and then you have to get onto a life onto a lifeboat and then you have to wait until the boat part kind of spins around to the water and then your boat is in the water and then you have to do something else and looking back on it i'm like we're making a game out of how many thousand, uh, how many hundred people died on that, on that night and everything. And it's like, that really feels inappropriate to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you were like a steward. You weren't even like, that was your, your character in that game. Like that's not sexy at all. So like, not only is it inappropriate, but it's like, you don't even get to play a good character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm picturing the cover of the box. You are the steward with like a big exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) I remember enjoying playing it as a kid. Now I'm looking back on, I was a twisted little kid, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good chat for our our Facebook group. Anyone uh, listening, what movie or TV show board games did you have that you play as a kid? And even better, if they were something like the Titanic or Escape from New York and just really had no business being a board game. Let us know in our Facebook group. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps things up for this week. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's been a great week. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me and indulging my random digressions. (laughs) Man, that's what it's all about. It's all about the good pop culture digressions. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and being here this week. It's awesome. So one more time, where can people find you out in the interwebs? Filmbuffonline.com is where all my writing is. The podcast that I co-host with my friend uh, Natasha Bogutsky is the Big Picture Podcast. You can find the links at filmbuffonline.com or directly at bigpicturepod.com. Also, iTunes, Stitcher, the usual uh, locations there. Oh, and I'm on, I keep forgetting, I'm on Twitter at uh, FilmBuffRich. Sweet. And you can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. And we also have got the Facebook group, which uh, Eric was just mentioning, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And as we close, I want to give a shout out to KJ Valensic, who does our sweet, amazing 80s synthy podcast music. And with that, <laughs> be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.